mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back. Putting in work. I'm Johnny Peck. This is episode 37. Thanks to everyone that checked out last week's episode of OK Beast. Had a lot of great feedback. The review of the week goes to the old mate, Nato J 18 who wrote on iTunes... Always amazed each week with each guest, Jono shows it's not just a guest that puts in the hard work. Great pod. Thank you, Nato. Look forward to hanging out at PAX in a couple of weeks. I've got quite a lineup of guests planned for the PAX convention in a few weeks, so that should do me for some content for a while. So look forward to that. This week, though, we're going to spend some time with a photographer by the name of Paul Atkins. So Paul runs Atkins Lab over in Adelaide with his wife, Kate. Uh, He's a third-generation photographer, and this lab basically serves professionals and the public working on printing and all the processing that happens to get just a really professional product. Paul's been a photographer his whole life, basically, and as a very creative person, he's sacrificed a lot of that creativity to work on the business side uh, of his photography, which makes his story quite interesting, I think, because a lot of people want to turn their hobby into their profession, but they might not realize there's a lot of work that has to happen in the business area, and that's marketing, coming up with a unique product or a unique service, pitching that, paying bills, paying staff, working on business plans, all this stuff that you just don't really want to think about when you just want to go out and take a few nice photos and make some money. So Paul talks a lot about that and kind of the nitty-gritty that's involved in turning a passion into a business thanks to dj Payne for the hookup dj and paul do a photography podcast together as well so here's paul enjoy the show thank you for joining me paul hey john i'm very pleased to be here that's great you're in adelaide right correct adelaide and it's sunny like really spring is hitting it's beautiful it's great i'm uh, originally an adelaide boy so oh really it's good to, to touch back there cool Cool. So the, the way that I got onto you was through former guest and friend DJ Payne, who's an avid photographer, and I assume that uh, that's one of your shared passions. Knowing your background, totally, yeah. we both love it. We both, even though DJ's now off on a whole other path. I've, in fact, I don't think there's been a path that DJ's been on for you know sort of more than fifteen <laughs> years, ten years. I don't know what it is, but photography's at his heart, and it is definitely at my heart too. Sure. And you've got a, a couple of businesses or a, a kind of a multi-armed business at the moment? Yeah, a multi-armed business. It's my um, my grandfather's business. So we started in 1936. Wow. Uh, and yeah, and, and from just because of, of that alone, you tend to grow weird arms and tentacles and all sorts of things to do different jobs. And um, and so we, we sort of look after professionals and retail. So there's like a wholesale or retail arm in the photography and so our professional arm is called Atkins Pro Lab and our retailers Atkins Photo Lab but people just call us Atkins Lab or or Atkins or whatever we've sure. been around sort of long enough they kind of work out that we're there it doesn't matter what they call us as long as they keep sending us work yeah okay <laughs> so let's go back a little and retrace the steps tell me about how you got started on that career path and what that journey's been like for you up to this point well if you you think about the way family businesses work, and I don't know. You said you're from Adelaide. Were, mm-hmm. were you ever tempted into a family business, or uh, kind of? My my father was a newspaper editor, and I ended oh. up being a journalist for for a number of years. So it was not necessarily the family business, but it was the family yeah, yeah. profession. Profession. Yeah, yeah. So you you know, and you still are in in journalism by the sounds of it. You know, with what? You're uh, doing. Well, this podcast would be my outlet for journalism these days. Yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. So, um, so 
when your father's at home and he's talking what he talks and, and editing, newspaper editing is pretty full on stuff mm-hmm. and you're dealing with things right in your face all the time and I'm sure conversations around the, the dinner table and everything were, were reflected back to what happened and, and it becomes a part of you and for us, you know, I'd, I'd, school holidays I'd be staying with my grandparents and my, it was my grandfather's business originally and you'd be, you know, talking about it. And, of course, everybody loves photography. And I think everyone has always loved photography back from when things became accessible in the mm. sort of 20s, 30s. The, you know, there was a, a quote by um, something in the New York Times back in the, the 30s that, what is this, everyone's a snapper, everyone has a camera now. And <laughs> they're talking about box brownies and what George Eastman had done. So as a kid, getting a camera, taking photos, being good at it, it was just a, a thing. So, you know, I don't think it ever, I don't think it ever wasn't in the business. At 12, I was, I was working with a camera on Saturdays taking photos. Uh, what were you taking photos of? Uh, funny enough, uh, it was horse racing. We had a, an arm to the business. We talked about lots of like tentacles. We had an arm to the business that was photographing horse racing. And it was the, the thing that you would photograph to sell a picture to the, to the, uh, owners. It wasn't, it wasn't for the judges to make a decision whether the horse wins or not. It was yeah. a picture of the horse coming around the last corner and then there was a horse, picture of the horse crossing the line and then a horse getting the trophy or the jockey rider and the, uh, the connections, as they call them, getting the mm. trophy. So I did those. And then you have to go and sell the pictures to the owners. So you were taking the pictures and then they hadn't seen them, but they knew what you did. And you said, hey, do you want to buy some frames or whatever? And... And you sell it. So at the early stages, I wasn't doing the sales, but I was doing the photography. And then I moved into the sales side of it. And the background, we always had a lab running that did all the processing and everything. So the business was made up of a photography arm and, and a lab arm and a framing and all that stuff. So I just then moved from, from taking the photos at that stage. Uh, I did a degree in business. I don't know why I chose to do that. I... <laughs> I suppose it made sense because I'm going to be in business and employing people and that stuff. And at 19, I looked at the options in front of me and I think deep in the heart of me, I'm quite lazy. I I say that with a smile on my face because I don't actually know what it actually means to be one thing or the other. But I took the path most trodden. Here's an easy path. The business is there. You can be in it. You know it. Um, the family business, you mean? Yeah, the family yeah. business. So you know, I you said you 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 know you you looked at journalism for a while and you did a bit. I the only bit of work I'm just thinking it really wasn't work. It was kind of work experience that I did was about a month at the the news as it was back then, which may have been what your father was editing because uh, we had the advertiser Sunday Mail News. Yeah, I think he was a sub-editor at the Addy, but he may have been there at some point as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was a photographer at the news for a month, and but that's not a job. It was something to do because the school said you had to do work experience. So, um, so yeah, um, at that 19, age of 19, I go, well, what in the hell am I going to do? And you, you know, I made that decision. I think I even wrote a letter and said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm serious about it. And then from then on, it was just, getting more and more involved until I think mid 2000s, maybe 2005, I started taking on some pretty serious responsibilities and mm. 2006, seven, I, I took it, took more and more on. And by 2010, uh, I'd been given 30% of the shareholding of the business, uh, by my grandparents who were 
they gave me their shares or my grandmother did and then at the age of 40 which was um uh you know it's a pretty big age it's is 2010 my father said okay let's swap i'll have 30 percent. you have 70 percent of the shares and so i got a controlling interest in the business and um you know i, I kind of kept making the business go bad and <laughs> i know this sounds awful but it coincided with a raise rise of digital yeah uh, so i mean digital has been around for us since the mid 1990s mm-hmm. and my first job out of uni was effectively bringing digital back-end production uh, scanning, printing, and all that kind of stuff to the lab and demonstrating it and sort of working it out and how you can, how it could be as good as traditional darkroom printing. And I, I did that. And then we slowly helped a lot of the Adelaide professional photographers merge over to being uh, digital photographers. And and so in many ways, just like Kodak did, we shot ourselves in the foot because uh, it meant that we didn't sell film, we didn't develop film, we didn't scan film. Uh, in fact, to, to, to see a picture, you just look on the back of the camera. And for the average person, that experience of looking on the back of the camera gives them the, oh, lovely, I took a nice picture. But mm. before that, they had to come to us for that, oh, lovely, I took a nice picture moment. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of killed us. Um, it really did. And so my shepherding of the business has been downhill until about four years ago uh, when my wife became involved with the business and she bought another level of thinking and a thinking that was outside my narrow little family thinking and my thinking about the business in the past. And she, she and I did design-led innovation course together about four years ago that kind of cracked the nut and made us look at the business very different. And I think the best metaphor of what happened then is it's like we're on sitting on the old road, you know, the, the old road to Adelaide or the old road to Melbourne that's winds through Allgate and that you're sitting on the old road with a strip mall, strip shops there, and there's you just go, where in the hell's the traffic? You didn't realise the freeway is, is... To the side, yeah. Just up there, yeah, you could hear it maybe. But if you go up there and there's all the traffic, and it was like our business sort of found the freeway where all the work was. And, and so we've been growing ever since. And it was my wife that really took us to do that. So that's, that's, that's my story. And so what have you been uh, photographing over those those years? Because you mentioned the horses and some teaching and well, what happened in between. Yeah. Um, so the photography side of it is a pretty small part of the business. Uh, mm. So the photography I get to do is, well, I don't know if you'd call it like exciting, interesting stuff, but it's like copy and record stuff. So, uh, for example, our botanic gardens here has a museum in it. And that museum owns the largest collection of paper mache fruit. <laughs> and you go, why would you want paper mache fruit? Well, before refrigeration, if you wanted to communicate to people the kind of fruit you grew here in South Australia, you made a paper mache model of that fruit. And that's right. what went to the trade fair, which is bizarre. But it's one of those buggy whip moments where, you know, you need this stuff because there's no refrigeration. And there's a so we have this the biggest collection in the world of this and it is so perfect you think this real fruit until you feel the weight of it it's so perfect and it's made in germany and it's made by the super long process um anyway i was called in to do a portrait of each of the 300 apples that we have in the collection yeah so that the portrait looked like a dutch masterpiece but it was true to each one that the scale all matched that you know all this kind of crazy stuff that made it a technical nightmare 
And that was my skill. That is my skill is in the technical stuff. I don't, I do have an artistic bone in my body. I have a few of them, but my photography always leans to that world. Everything else I do here, I do a bit of programming. I do a bit of, you know, uh, personnel and industrial relations, you know, working with my staff, um, sorting management out, doing budgeting. It's all really kind of, you know, boring, but the creative stuff I get to do is around a bit of programming and a bit of thinking about where the business is going and marketing and that stuff. So, you know, photography is really a personal passion now, taking photos of the family, bit of landscape work, bit of street photography. Hmm. Okay. So would you say that, especially, I guess, now that we have Instagram and smartphones and everyone thinks that they can buy a SLR and they're a photographer, but... Is, is a lot of making a living out of this sitting down and going, okay, I'm going to have to be willing to do all this extra work in selling and pitching and as you've got on your table in front of you, programming and, and all this, I guess, the businessy side of things to make it into a, more than just a, a hobby, a lifestyle? Yeah, totally. You are so, you're so right, Jono. It's, and it's always kind of been there, but it's even more important that you know, you kind of think about if you want to be a creative making a living with whatever you happen to be doing and, if, you know, it happens to be photography, then you got to remember, okay, I'm going to be a professional illustrator, for example. The two things are, are there, right? So you've got the illustration and you've got the professionalism. And the professionalism is around being great to your client, answering the phone when they call you, answering emails in a professional manner, having a domain name that makes sense, having a web uh, an email address that fits with your domain name and your personal thing that all makes sense. You know, that all that stuff is business 101 and marketing 101. It's all very basic stuff that a lot of creatives don't think about when they're getting into it. They go, oh my God, I'm such a great illustrator. People can pay me to illustrate. Yahtzee, you know, that's brilliant. But what we've got to remember about that is unless someone's employing you, you are everything else. You're your own marketing, you're your own accountant, you're your own... So you've got to look at it and go, well, would I go and buy a franchise? Would I go and buy, you know, if I had the money, would I buy a Smiggles franchise or a McDonald's franchise? Because that aspect of the business is so no different from running a McDonald's. You just happen to be an illustrator at the front end and not making burgers. Everything else, the systems and all that. And that is the, the grinding dull side of it that... You've got to find a way of getting your head around, otherwise you won't survive. And, and and marketing, what is the latest marketing? You know, is it Instagram or is it Facebook? You just got to grab that and go, okay, I'll plug that into what I do to get the work. I got to get a way of getting the work. I got a way of doing the work. I got to get a way of passing the work on. And that's the grim side of, of you know, running a professional mm. business. And have, have there been times where that more businessy, for lack of a better term, the more businessy side of it has weighed you down and thought, why am I doing this? Where's the fun in it? Um, you know, I got into this because I like taking photos and now I'm stuck in an office doing taxes and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I don't want to say it because I know, I know the <laughs> listenership, but I think every single day you have those moments. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, you see that those memes on the internet where tired of adulting today, you know. Yeah. And this, as you get older, you end up taking these things on that, become a part of your life any rate and i think the thing is to find the most effective way and efficient way of dealing with them so that they don't become these burdens you know you have to segment your time to be 
say, okay, this morning I'm working on my taxes or this morning I'm working on my marketing and just get it out the way and move on. That the stuff you want to do. The worst thing you can do is sort of, you know, procrastinate on it and put it aside and and not actually address it. I'm a, a big fan of um, getting things done as a GTD, as a process of, of this sort of stuff. And I use this bit of software called OmniFocus that is my list organizer. So everything I do is in a list of some description. I just, if I have something bugging me, I write it down in a list, but I happen to write it down in a bit of software that syncs across all my devices, iPads and that sort of stuff. And that list management is my lifesaver. I, I know what it needs to be done to get to survive all this stuff. I'm not saying I do survive it and I'm doing well at it, but it is that little thing that helps me manage it because I can't keep it in my head. And I think, you know, I said I don't have a creative bone. I have one creative bone in my body. I think I'm quietly split with it because I think a lot of the stuff I do and a lot of the problems I have are related to my creative thinking less so than my you know, sort of robot thinking or whatever you want to call it. I wish I had a little bit more robot some days. But, yes. but you know, it's this list management that lets me be a bit more creative in my thinking and, and using lists. It's as simple as lists. It's not, you know, GTD is a big thing. Yep, pick up David Allen's book, read it. Um, I challenge you to get through it before you shoot off and start doing some of it. It's so, it's such an inspiring thing and it's such a relieving thing once you get it worked out. But, you know, to actually... Uh, do it properly and follow through is actually, you know, it's quite a big thing, but at the heart of it is make a list and work through the list methodically. You know, that's what it is. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I, uh, that side of side of it sucks. And every single day I, I look at it and go, do I really have to do X, you know? Yeah. What well, what would you say has been the hardest part of turning this hobby into a business and turning it into, I guess your whole career really at this point? Yeah, totally. The hardest part is dividing that time up. And I'm not one for saying that, like, work-life balance is critical. You know, I think, yes, for some people they want to chase work-life balance, but I think the chasing of it and the kicking yourself in the butt about it is so depressing and dangerous to yourself. I think, you know, you've got to be really full of forgiveness for yourself and that kind of stuff, but I think the time you spend on your work and and if you're doing something you love which is why a lot of creatives get into self-employment and that sort of thing if you're doing something you mm. love then don't think about the balance don't think of it as as a work-life balance think you know thank your lucky stars that you have a job that you love doing and you're getting fed through, through that and then let the balance go to hell until till your family members say hey what do you look like um <laughs> you know until you've got to turn up a bit more often or something yeah, that's one thing, but don't put that pressure on yourself so much. And so, you know, you know, chase that, chase the thing which makes you feel good, but you've got to tidy up around you and do all those other things that involve the making business. But don't beat yourself up about it. You just got to work like, you know, work like crazy to make it work. And you've got to use all the creative skills you've got and apply them. Sometimes it's to your accounting. Sometimes it's to your marketing. You know, that, that transition and that chase of that transition is, is what's, what really where the success lies did i answer and, uh, that question by the way yeah no it was what's the hardest part and yeah i think you've I think okay you cool that. cool cool uh, and so is it right that you've also been getting into a fair bit of podcasting as well yeah and i didn't just think about it from the marketing side of things uh straight away and it's something that dj and i 
you know, DJ said, hey, we should do a podcast together. And um, I think, yeah, what a great idea. This sounds like fun because one thing about people, well, about life, it's wonderfully, wonderful bouncing things off of people. And, you know, what you're doing now with me, you know, we don't know each other from a bar of soap, but it's it's so nice to be able to talk about stuff together. Um, and I know this is a really one-sided uh, podcast because it's kind of an interview based yeah. but it is nice to have that that back and forward and and dj and i have a lot of that and it's pretty cool and you know he likes playing the numpty and and so i don't understand that and some i like to be a bit of a explain him explainington about things photographic and <laughs> and a mansplain to him right and and so we play that role and that's fun uh, but i think the thing about podcasting is it gives people a bit of an insight into the things you are interested in and they show that you're not just in business or in the creative business sphere mm. for money. You're in it because it's interesting in a broader sense. And um, I've really missed the the last six months have been hard because DJ's taken on a few other roles and I'm not really thrilled about doing it without him. But a few ideas have come up that we might expand. I've done a few interviews for our little network uh, with, with photographers and we've got a bit of back catalogue of stuff that we're rolling out slowly. I think we create content more so than we than we actually broadcast, and that's the problem. Um, okay. Yeah, the back end. And, that's, and uh, look, as soon as DJ's back into it, we'll be back into it more. But I, I love the format. I listen to podcasts every single day. If I'm in the car for five minutes, I'm listening to a podcast, um, and it's so fulfilling. It's great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely can relate to that. I almost feel like I've hear podcasts more than my my own friends and family's voices sometimes but totally so what's your favorite at the moment <laughs> uh oh i listen to so many like there's because i'm into video games and basketball so there's a lot of those ones um oh, and cool. a lot of my friends do podcasts as well so um i mean there's just too many to name <laughs> really yeah, yeah 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 i tend to pick on things which loosely i wouldn't look up philosophy podcasts I wouldn't look it up because it'll be so dry, but I, I always seem to hover around podcasts that have large philosophical mm. content that they don't want to talk about. So, you know, things like Roderick on the Line would be my favorite one, which is a, an indie rock star from the 90s who's been okay. through everything from, you know, drug addiction and the whole work to, to running for council for Seattle. And he's interviewed by a productivity guru. Um, so this guy is a totally the most unproductive person on earth. John Roderick, but in the same breath, he's magic to listen to. Interviewed by a guy who who basically invented Inbox Zero and the whole concept of how you manage a large inbox system. So right. it is brilliant stuff. And I I really get into this sort of... Pers- they're basically personality podcasts, people firing off each other. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, it's cool. And what uh, have you found that you've gained from podcasting in terms of what you can take back to your business like are you learning things from different people you talk to or are you getting a chance to express ideas that you have yourself oh totally i think the minute you start telling people about something you think you know about it rephrases it all for you mm. and start as soon as you start listening to people particularly your potential customers and you start thinking about life from their perspective you then design your business in a different way you design the way you face the world in a different way and um because really like what have we got if we got people who are wanting to buy our services a la our customers if you can't think from their perspective 
uh, and you can't put yourselves in their shoes, you have no hope of making your business um, make sense to them. Um, you know, you're just doing what you want to do and, you know, to hell with everybody. If you can think about that customer experience and build it. So what podcasting has done is helped me put myself in their shoes. And in many ways, I've interviewed customers. Uh, I've talked about the industry with them and that sort of thing. So it's really helped us a lot. But the the most important thing is is been meeting people and just hearing their story and getting that, that deeper sense of what they're doing and why they're doing it it's been it's been awesome over the years yeah that's cool so what would be your career advice to anyone that wants to turn photography into something more than a side hobby or side project yeah totally well i think the first thing would be is you know think about risk first and you know if you have a job that's unfulfilling but is flexible for example you work in a supermarket i would encourage you to keep that job and then start blending your photography with it and work your hours out and then eventually aim to replace that boring job that's flexible with a job that makes your heart sing. And But don't, you know, have patience with it. I think, you know, you said it, we said it earlier that everyone's a photographer and there's great challenges in that and that we're all in competition with one another to some extent. But it takes a while to develop the thing that is your thing. Now, a great friend of mine is a, her, she's worked out that her and kids get on super well together. Her name is Simone Hankel. She's built a business that is monochrome, black and white photographs of children. And I think preferably she'd be working with kids under 12. Um, and she's just magic with them. And so she's known as the black and white child photographer. And she can market the hell out of that. She can, she's got a laser focus on that idea and and so it took her a long time to work that out and i think let's say if business establishment these days is five six years so it's five or six years of operating before naturally things start to pick up and you start to get clients and that during that period you'll work out what your what your duck is you know your black and white child photography moment and so take your time to develop that collaborate like crazy work with everybody and anybody so find people who have the share your views but maybe more so you're aligned personally with them than what the way your work is and do things together work for charities you know cover events for charities uh do projects like photography is so underutilized for for storytelling we're always using it to show nice pictures to people stuff nice pictures you know <laughs> just like, everybody does nice pictures just buy the postcard if you're doing nice pictures Go and stick the, the face in an old folks home and do portraits of people and ask them about their lives and try and tell stories about people's lives. Um, tell stories about buildings. You know, if an architect has built a building for a purpose, go and photograph that building and how it's rendering that purpose and try and tell the story of that building in, in pictures. So, you yeah. know, set yourself targets and that. And what will happen is you doing all this a quote-unquote philanthropy and storytelling and all this sort of thing it will bring you work guaranteed you know it it will it'll connect you um the other thing is is like join a an association like the aipp become a member of an industry association and turn up and and pick up the chairs and put them out for meetings um join the council for that association so that you're deep in and meet all the people who are your heroes or whose work you look up to uh, 
So that feeding of you only happens when you're giving. Um, sure. So it's a two-way exchange. You, you turn up and say, yeah, totally. I want to help out with that. And you will get that, that thing. And I think the last bit of advice I would say is don't devalue yourself. Don't think you've got to work for nothing to get work. You know, portfolio building is fine and work for nothing in that process. But make sure it's totally clear that this is typically you would charge this you're doing this thing for them for nothing or for cost. And then you build like it quick. As soon as you start delivering what you are promising, you're a professional. And then, yeah. you know, you, you know, you're a professional. As soon as you start showing some work and going, Hey, I can do this for you. And you actually do it for them. Then you should be charging commercial rates. Then you should be going, okay, you know, I'm, I, I need a living from this. I need, you know, $1,000 a week. Okay, how do I get $1,000 a week? If I'm only working five hours, then I need to charge $200 for those fi- an hour for those five hours. And, you know, that's the way you got to think about life and, and, you know, be hard about it. So so that's my, my last bit of advice. Value mm. yourself. That's good. And I mean, it's a ho- probably a whole different topic, but it looks like a kind of difficult terrain to navigate when people want exposure. So, you know, you have to weigh up how much exposure am I going to get versus should I be getting paid for this? And especially when people are starting out, if they refuse to do it for free, there might be someone else that does it for free and then you've lost that exposure. So I'm sure that's probably a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a problem for a lot of people starting out. Yeah, maybe the thing to do is, uh, like I do agree with that and, and love jobs are important, but uh, I, I agree with the idea of doing that occasionally. But I think if you control, like someone else offering you exposure it would have to be very impressive for it to work. Like if you if you sent a picture that got to the front page of the you know the latest Murdoch publication, whether it be the advertiser or whatever, I will guarantee you they won't credit you. Um, so that kind of exposure would just go nowhere because there would be no reference to you, the photographer. There would have to be an interview of you in there saying, look at this young uprising star for that ever to, to have any benefit at all. Um, even the even if they did give you the byline with your name on it on the front cover, I doubt it would get you any work at all. You know, as I said, they'd need to interview you and talk about it. So be really, really careful about that exposure thing because it doesn't it doesn't pay the bet. If you you controlling the exposure is a totally different thing. You're approaching a a a project from your perspective and saying, I want to do this with you. I'm not going to charge you for this. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to control the imagery and we're going to get this out out of this together. That's another story altogether. You know, that's, that's, that's philanthropy and you can control that message. Uh, But you've got to jump on that project yourself and you've got to push it out. You know, you've got to approach that, that group and, and, and make it happen. And you pick your target, like go with a group that is so close to your heart. Like, let's say you love animals. Well, you know, go and work with an animal shelter and do an exhibition and you drive it. Don't let them come to you and say, oh, we're thinking of doing this. It'll always benefit them in the end. Um, whereas, you know, exposure pays for, for nothing unless, you know, you got full control over it and get, get that interview in the paper or whatever it is that, that will elevate you. Okay. So, Paul, my last question is this. If you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Whoa. That's a big question. Would anything no I wouldn't fail what would I do now are we walking talking within our creative sphere of the the, the work I'm doing 
It can be anything you want to start with. If it's something separate, let's hear it. Oh my gosh, that's a huge question, man. <laughs> um, you know, the the biggest joy I get is working for things that I respect a lot. So, like, I've just got a huge job with the Art Gallery of South Australia, and I, I'm so thrilled to be doing it. And, um, you know, I think for someone to, like, as a creative, for the state-based or national-based art gallery to tap you on the shoulder and say, I'd like to do an exhibition of your work, I think, like, that is the number one mm. thing. So That's awesome. What I would love to do is to... I'd like to work for more of these large institutions and and I'd like to be that sort of a thing, that sort of a conduit that I would like them to look at us and go, well, who do you know that's interesting at the moment and who's a rising star? And I'd be able to connect some of the people I deal with every day um, and help elevate them up and put them on that path to eventually having their own show in the art gallery. And, mm. you know, it's not it's not as far away as you think it is and I, I honestly don't think I'd fail, but I'd love to keep pushing along that path because, you know, art is so good for society. It's that it's that barometer of how we're all doing with ourselves when you look at the art. And when we can celebrate stuff of artists that are living, that are making stuff now, and we can give them a break and we can invest in them, I think it's a, it's, it's a good world we live in. Because I think half the mental health problems in the last century would have been cured by, like, allowing creatives a better vent and a better path. So um, it's hard being a creative in, in life. You know, people, they don't get a lot of respect sometimes. So, mm. so yeah, I'd like to make that path better. I think that's an answer. That's a good answer. It's very, very selfless. Oh, well, hey, we benefit <laughs> in the end. We're, we're going to get another money because we're going to do the work. So I'm happy to, yeah. I'm happy with that. But oh, that's good. It's, a, it's that rising tide floats all boats. If everyone's doing well, then we do well too. That's good. Thanks for your time, Paul. I really appreciate uh, getting on here since you, like you said, don't know me from a bar of soap. <laughs> You're a nice bar of soap, it turns out. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm one of those dove bars of soap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know those dove bars. They're good. <laughs> well done. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening. You can check out Paul's business at atkins.com.au. He's on Instagram. If you want to check out his photos, Paul A. Atkins. And, of course, I'm on Twitter, at Johnny himself. Hit me up some feedback tell me who you want to see on the show until next week keep putting in work